Uh, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you that we could gather together, that the gospel is a word of peace, 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 Lord. Um, thank you for this incredible weather. Thank you for the saints that we get to come in your name because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of your son. I pray that as we walk away, as we close out Galatians, that we would walk away just with deep convictions and that we would be eager to um, do good in our community, Father. Again, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all of that revealed in your son. And thank you for the community we share it with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, my name is Steve LaFrance. I get the opportunity to be the minister here. And we are wrapping up the book of Galatians. So we are in chapter six, and you, as you know, there was doctrinal strife going on, and the church was weak because of the doctrinal strife. And so Paul is wanting to remind his church that they must live by the Spirit, that the healing and the overall strengthening of this community is going to require each member to be responsible to the others and for the members to hold each other accountable. You know, part of our pressure, part, part of our pressure in this deeply individualistic society, and when I say deeply individualistic, I'm not talking exclusively about Portland, but really the larger ethos of the American culture, we are so individual. Paul's last part in Galatians chapter 6 could feel alien, like, why would I invest myself in someone else's life? And yet that was an expectation of the scriptures, that we would be a family, that we would be connected to one another. You know, Paul, when he uses the term new creation, he has this idea that there are new communities being formed that live under the rule and reign of Christ. John calls it life to the full. Modern sociologists call it human flourishing, the good life. Now, I know I'm in New England, so I'm, this may not be the crowd, but I'm from the South originally, and it's college football season. <laughs> And yesterday with the kickoff games, I mean, really, the week before was week zero, but this was week one, and we were, I was watching some kickoff games, and there was one game in particular I'm not going to share just because I don't root for either of those teams, so I don't care too much, but this running back had an incredible game. He ran for like 160-something yards, two touchdowns. He had like five catches for like 80 yards, and his team lost the game. He played incredible. But his team lost the game. You know, a lot of times when we think about Christianity, we think it's a solo endeavor. It's really not. That running back played a game on most better than average teams that would have guaranteed a victory. But because it's not a solo sport, that running back doesn't play defense. So he can't stop the other team from scoring. He wasn't able to get the victory. And the same thing happens spiritually. We think Christianity is intended to be a solo sport. We think something is supposed to special happen, like this, this deep communion between you and God, and you just wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, we, I just get it. It's so easy now. I didn't need it. God is like, you actually need community, and you need a lot of it. And so we're going to pick up in um, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out. But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. 
Each one should test their own actions. Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Paul is talking about responsibility and accountability. These are like words that I don't think there's ever been a generation of people who enjoy these words. <laughs> Maybe military folk are like, this is, what, this is what it's all about. But the rest of society, responsibility and accountability. You want to kill, um, kill a joy? Use these words. Nice. I have my three-year-old, and I was trying to explain to him about responsibility, and he left mid-conversation. <laughs> I was like... It's his responsibility to put back the toys. He was like, yeah, right. And then he just walked away. But one of these days, it, it will be him. I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> you have my word. I'm not going to clean that boy's room anymore. And so Paul says here, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. There is this one another relationship that we need to have, a community type of relationship that we are called to help one another if someone falls into sin. Now, all of us on one varying degree or another will fall into some sort of sin. But what Paul is communicating here is the sin that kind of entangles you. Maybe it was something that you didn't struggle with before, but now you're entangled by it. Whether that's excessive drinking, whether that's use of um, substance, whether that's sexual sin, or even if there's something like greed. I think most of us, we don't hold people accountable to greed because probably we're greedy ourselves. But, and I'm not talking about food, I'm talking about financially. But we need to hold each other accountable, and people who live by the Spirit should do it. You know, I thought about that a lot today in the last couple of days as I was reflecting on Galatians chapter 6. I'm like, why would it require someone who is spiritual, someone who is living by the Spirit? I think the answer is very obvious. If you are, most of the time, most of us have enough self-awareness that we won't be hypocrites. So someone in here is struggling with embezzlement, and I'm struggling with embezzlement as well, guess what we're not going to talk about? Embezzlement. (laughs) Now, if you are like a sociopath, I might hold you accountable to that because I'm not that. But someone who is following, at least I don't think I am. (laughs) I sincerely don't, but I'd be surprised. Um, But if you are following the spirit, then in all things, you are you have this close, intimate walk with Christ and you know what Christ expects and you restore people gently. I understand in varying places and in different settings, certain things are necessary. But if your mental map or your mental imagery of the scriptures is someone wagging their finger telling you you're evil and you're going to burn and you're all of this, that's not the gentleness Paul is talking about here. He is saying you need to restore them gently. You need to help them see that requires work. That requires a lot of work and that requires a lot of humility. You know, but one of the challenges that prevents us from doing this in terms of us restoring people gently and some of us we're scared of people just the thought of people scare you you know you're just like whoa people and then you just start to shrink in your heart you know we we may know someone who is not doing well spiritually not following the teachings of jesus though their deep desire is but we're like i'm scared what they're going to say to me what if they point out an area i'm not being faithful and we allow that fear to hold us back yeah some of us apathy we just don't care. Like, you'd be like, that's that dude's business. That's that woman's business. On the last day, it's going to be me talking to Jesus. I'm not worried about what anyone else got going on. And yet, that's not what we see here. We are called to care deeply about one another. 
You know, and then there is the component of technology. For many of us, we have our go-tos. I was talking to, um, I was talking to Fred yesterday and we were driving back. And as he was sharing different parts of this history and stuff like that with our fellowship and everything else, I was like, man, how radically different their fellowship would have been if they had social media. They probably wouldn't talk to anyone because I see it now. Like I have people that live in different parts of the world that I'm excellent friends with in the different parts of the country, not different parts of the world. But <laughs> I'm not that global, <laughs> but I, that I'm really good friends with that. I'm like, you know what? I have enough technology that I can stay connected to those guys and they can help me in a large extent. And I won't be and I don't necessarily need new relationships. There's a song from a hip hop artist by the name of Drake who has a song called No New Friends. I can feel that sometimes. But Christ wants us to have deep, intimate relationships where we are. There are things that my buddies from different parts of the country just don't see where you guys actually see it. You guys actually see and see who I am. And so Paul is saying we have a responsibility to one another. I, I, I talk about workout buddies. I haven't found one yet, man, and so pray for me to find one. Any of you who have ever had a consistent workout buddy, don't the results show up? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you get someone in the gym and you're like, you know, today I'm trying to only do five reps. They're like, we, we did five reps. You need someone who's a little bit ahead of you, though. Mm-hmm. Don't get someone. <laughs> or either you're radically motivated or they're a little bit ahead of you because that other one won't want to get pulled back with you. But if you guys are equally not motivated, then that might not be the best workout, buddy. That's why Paul says you who are spiritual, right? So we want someone who is really trying to follow Jesus to help us follow Jesus. As we grow and mature, we grow stronger together. But then there's a personal accountability as well. So we have a responsibility to one another, and then we have a personal accountability. And in verse, at the end of verse 1, he says, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. You know, most of our temptation, Ecclesiastes says, comes from envy. Most of us feel good until we turn on our phones or turn on the TV. Something's missing. You know, you're feeling good. Like, I have a MacBook from 2015. It's cranking. It still works. And then I was on campus this past Friday, and I'm sitting next to this student with a 2022 MacBook, and I was like, the light is better. (laughs) I'm like, I need to get one of those things. And then someone else showed up with an Apple Watch. I'm like, I need one of those too, man. Like, look, he could get the text messages. Like, it's solid. And then a good buddy of mine is now selling shoes. And I was like, man, those are really nice shoes. And then within, within four hours, I recognized I needed 10 new things. When I woke up that morning, I felt good about my shoes. I felt good about my laptop. But envy snuck in. Sometimes we can feel that way with one another since. You know, I've had plenty of friends who are like, Ah oh, man, my, my, one of my good buddies was unfaithful to his wife. And it's like, oh, they still, they're still together? Yeah, it's rocky, but they're still together. You're like, I want to be unfaithful too. How many shots can I get before I actually lose my marriage? And you get envious of someone else's sin. Some of us are like, man, this person is so lazy, they get away with everything. I want to imitate their laziness. Most people don't want to imitate lazy, but some people do. <laughs> We get tempted by one another's sin, and we have to be very careful that we are guarding our hearts when we're helping people. Yeah. Some of the things that, it's, you, know, you know you're in danger when you look too down on someone who's struggling with a sin that you don't struggle with. Mm-hmm. 
And she's like, I can't believe you did that. Most of the people who have ever shared with me they can't believe someone did something, it's like, I don't know how you did that, and I would like to know. That's usually the posture of most people when they look down on someone so intense. And part of watching yourself is recognizing that you're not superior to anyone. Everyone in here needed the blood of Jesus. The oldest person in here, the youngest person in here, still needs the blood of Jesus. You could have been following Jesus for a bajillion years. You still need his blood. You could have been following for one second. You still need Jesus' blood. And that alone should keep us humble. I want to just encourage new believers, believers who are having challenges. And there are certain seasons where you could be helpful, and there are certain seasons where you can say, you know what, I'm just not in the spot right now to be helpful because I'm going to get dragged right back into stuff. When I, I've shared this many times, but when I first became, before I became a follower of Jesus, before I got baptized, I used to go to the nightclubs all the time. That was a lot of fun, I thought. In hindsight, with my 36-year-old brain, it's not fun. But with my 20-year-old with my brain, it was a lot of fun. My 36-year-old brain, like, brother, go to bed. Like, what are you doing? Um, but I remember, like, I had just became a follower of Jesus, and one of my buddies was having a birthday party, and it was at a nightclub that, for me, it wasn't beneficial spiritually. I actually would say it wasn't beneficial for anyone trying to follow Jesus. But anyhow, I got invited to that, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to go, and I want to protect my heart, and I want to be. And then a buddy of mine who wasn't doing as well spiritually said, I'm going to go. I'm like, you're going to go? I'm like, I want to go. I thought, we had this whole conversation, and he's like, all right, let's both go. And I thank God that on my way there, I ended up calling my campus minister on some other stuff. We were supposed to play basketball. And I was like, just making sure that we go to the same court, because last time we didn't go to the same court. You know how annoying that is. Um, And this was before smartphones was like really on top of it. So like Metro PCS, there was dead zones everywhere. Um, So we were connecting. And then he's like, oh, what are you going to do for the rest of the night? I'm like, I'm going to a nightclub. And then he's like, do you think that's beneficial to you spiritually? I'm like, no. And then he's like, oh, so why are you doing it? I'm like, I'm not no more. (laughs) And I hung up. And then my other buddy who was in the car was like, it is it, right? And you're like, nah. And then we just went to a movie. <laughs> but I was so grateful that I was thinking about basketball in that moment. And then I, I needed someone more spiritual than me to remind me of the convictions that I had, that I wanted, that I needed. But the million dollar question is, how do you know if you're spiritual? How do you know if you're walking with the spirit? Look at your life. We, 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 we looked at, um, we're going to look at it a little bit later, but look at your life. Look at what your fruit is bearing. Does your life resemble that of Christ? If you're like, I have no idea what Christ's life resembles like, there's a strong likelihood your life does not resemble Christ in. But if you know what Christ's life looks like, then you can reflect on your own and say, okay, I recognize it. You know, Paul says we are called to carry one another's burden. You know, burden bearing... Like, they used to put burdens. They used to call those things burdens on donkeys. And they'll carry the package so, so you weren't weighed down. Poor donkey was weighed down, but you weren't weighed down. We are called to help each other grow spiritually. Yeah. We are called as a community to be characterized as people who bear one another burdens. And the most important component of that is 
love. You know, Craig, Craig Keener has this excellent quote that I think really fits well. The image, of, the image of bearing one another's burden or weight, the term also applies metaphorically to griefs, might remind readers of the slave or of impressments Roman soldiers could require. So Roman soldiers would say, hey, I need someone to carry this. And whoever was in the area needed to carry what the Roman soldier called them to carry. He said, in either case, it is an image of subversive, um, subservience that demands more than convenience. Bear burdens in this context must include helping a fellow Christian deal with sins. I think we want to help each other when it's radically convenient. I would help a million people if it fits in my schedule. I could be tempted not to help anyone if it doesn't fit in my schedule. On my way to service in, in South Florida, a person had a flat tire, and I was on my way to church, and I was speaking that Sunday, and I was like, oh, I got to preach. And this person, it, it was um, a, a Spanish lady, and she's like, help, help, help. And I was like, but I got to preach. I got to preach. I'm going to be there in like 15 minutes. And so I drive by, and then I'm thinking to myself, isn't there a story in the Bible about this kind of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't the Good Samaritan all about this? So I circle back around. Now, full disclosure, I don't know how to change a tire. <laughs> I'm like the least mechanical guy in the entire world. I knew my phone was charged. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to hand her my phone. Let's get you some help. So I circle back, and then she's like, oh, can you change my tire? I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And then she's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, we're going to call someone. She's like, who are we going to call? And I'm like, that's a good question. <laughs> Not Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good question. Then I ended up calling another guy who I knew was like, and then he came and he helped. And then I showed up to service late, <clears throat> and the other minister called me. He's like, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I was like... I was being like Jesus. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? He's like, I was like, I was helping someone change um, a tire. He's like, I thought you didn't know how to do it. I'm like, I didn't help help, but I kind of helped. <laughs> I'm like, it was close enough to Jesus. It was Jesus adjacent. <laughs> I'm like, I got the person who could help. And then anyhow, I got up there and, you know, honestly, the world didn't end. I was 10 minutes late to service. The world didn't end. I, I got up at the pulpit. They had an awkward fellowship break. People were wondering if I was going to show up at all. It didn't end. But in my head, I was so fixated. Again, it requires sometimes being burdened by inconvenience. Like we can love our neighbors if we're open to being inconvenienced. And again, one of my neighbors has a cat and the cat ran. And I was like, I don't care about this cat. If you're a cat person, I love you. You should continue to keep loving cats. But I don't care about cats. And they were like, can you help me look? And it was like 7 p.m. And I'm like, no. And then Jules was like, don't worry about it. I'll watch the kids. She answered for me. And I was like, how dare you? And then we went to go look, look for the cat. It was, it was good because the cat actually was still in the building. It was fine. But so it wasn't a long, but I, in my heart, I'm like, I didn't want to help you. This cat got issues. I got issues. <laughs> Life is bigger than you, cat. But since then, we've built such a great friendship. Like, I talk to my neighbors all the time because of that incident with the cat. You see, when, when Paul says here that it fulfills the law of Christ in, in verse 2, what he's talking about is 
what, what some people call the Jesus Creed, where it says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like when, 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 when Paul uses that term, the law of Christ, that's what he has in mind. And so sometimes I think, as Christians, we live in the state of Hillel. Hillel was a rabbi in the second century BC who was very popular and his teachings were so influential. And here's what he taught. So you got the silver rule, you got the golden rule, and you got the platinum rule. And you guys figure out which one is what. Hillel said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole law. Everything else is commentary. Go and learn it. I think most of us in our default setting, that's how we live. I hate when people do this to me. I won't do it to you. We live in that situation. And I think this is really kind of the default setting of America, largely. That we just don't do things we don't want done to other people. Matthew 7, Jesus heard that and he says, this is what it's more like. Sum up everything. Do to others what you will have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now you start thinking a little bit more deeply like, man... If I was stuck on the side of the road and I didn't know how to change a tire, would I want someone to come and help me? Yes. Okay, that's doing to others that you're doing. Man, if I was hungry and I had no food, would I want someone to feed me? Yes. You know, if I was tired and it's been a long day, would I want someone to throw out my trash? No. My responsibility, I got to do it. So you ain't got to do that. If I were, you know, lazy around, would I want someone to inspire me and move me. Well, I wouldn't do that for you naturally, and I wouldn't expect you to do it for me. So no, you see the problem with Matthew 7, 12. It's like, if you have Jesus type of love, that works perfectly. If you got a a janky type of love like I naturally have, it doesn't work. (laughs) You're going to love them according to you, but you may not love yourself well. So that becomes a challenge. Now look what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34 to 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the million dollar question becomes, what would Jesus do? Once we throw that into the equation, then it becomes a, Jesus would do a lot, man. He washed the guy's feet. He served these guys. He, he um, gave of himself. Jesus is the most interruptible person of all time. Like, for people who hate being interrupted, you couldn't hang out with Jesus. He'd be in the middle of conversation with you. If someone came and wanted help, he'll stop talking to you and be like, who touched me? And he will just go in that zone. And that's really the call for us if we're going to be, be a people who bear one another's burden that we, we love like Christ. He's like, love as I have loved you. And in a powerful way, it reveals that we are Jesus' disciples. So one of the things that I think is, can be very challenging at times, and, I, and, and I'm in a season of life with two small children, and many of my peers are in a season of life with young children. Sometimes part of helping each other carry each other's burden, we need to make ourselves available. And sometimes you can just, you know, you've been working 40 hours, then you come home, the kids is like, they're amazing, you love them, they're awesome, but it could feel like another 40-hour job, maybe even more than a 40-hour job, like a life job. They wake up at whatever time. And sometimes you, we don't get connected to one another because we're so swamped that we don't recognize at varying points, both husband and wife need to figure out how can we still be engaged with community, even if a brother really needs us in a spiritual way, 
to be able to connect. I think sometimes we, we, we put too much of a strong boundary of letting husband and or wife go out and go do things that it prevents us from living into what Christ is calling us to do. And so I want to encourage us, like, how can we say, if, I, if Wade calls me money, so you guys don't call me now. <laughs> so from Friday 6.30 to Saturday about 6.30, I, I devote that time to my family. I usually carve out time so my kids could go play with other kids because that's what they really like. But usually I'm not really trying to take any calls. But if someone were, and I don't check my phone, but if I was to check my phone on Saturday and I saw Juan's name and he's like, Steve, I'm really discouraged and I really need to pray, I would go to Julian. Julian, Juan is really discouraged and he really wants to pray. Can I take 20 minutes to go pray with him? Julian would be like, you know, it's our family day, but sure. I'm like, yeah, only 20 minutes. And then Juan gets on the phone and 17 minutes, I'm like, Juan, I'm going to wrap up in three, brother. Like, rapid fire, rapid fire, what's going on? But I think a lot of us are like, I'm not going to even respond. I'm not going to even, because this time is this time and you can't get in this time. That just isn't the spirit of Christ, guys. Again, I think on the flipping, most of you guys are super respectful. So you, if you knew that that was my family time, you're like, okay, I'll call them after. But if you were to reach out during that time, Jules and I made a deep commitment to one another because we saw the teachings of Jesus that we would always try to make ourselves available to help and serve people. And I would have done that even if I wasn't on staff. Try to make myself available to help people. And many of you do that too. But I just want to encourage that. The second thing that makes it really difficult to carry each other's burden, man, we live in private sin like 24-7. You sin like a thousand and one times in a thousand and different ways, but you're like, I don't even know which one to even talk about. Start with the first one that's burning on your heart. Maybe you lied. Maybe you were dishonest. That's a different form of a lie, same difference. Maybe you, were, you, you lost your temper and you punched a hole in the wall. Maybe you lost your temper and you like straight up sprayed someone on social media. Maybe in your heart you wanted to dislike someone's friendly posts and you're like, that felt evil. Maybe you're in a situation where you were looking at pornography the night before, the morning of, and you're like, I don't know who to talk to. Maybe you've been lying about your taxes, but instead, we just consistently keep it bottled up so we can't even help each other because we bottle it up. Yes. And it doesn't even have to be sin. Sometimes we could just be really anxious. We could, we could struggle with anxiety, and we need to be able to talk to people, but we keep it bottled up. Remember what the pastors start. Restore one another gently. I think this is one of the most gentle communities I've ever been a part of. We are like really nice people. Shout out to you guys. If you get open about these things, no one's trying to slam you or wreck you, but we do want to call you to the standard of Christ and we want to help you meet the standard of Christ. I need this still. I still need help. And I want you guys to call me to the standard of Christ. And that requires us receiving spiritual instruction. But if we don't, we, you don't get what you don't talk about. So if you look like you're looking good, then I, I think you're looking good. Looking good, feeling good, looking great, good. But you end up in a situation where you're like, I'm dying and no one knew. <clears throat> one of my biggest pet peeves, and if you end up doing this, I still love you, is no one cared about me, no one looked out for me, no, 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 no. And I, I go through my phone as soon as you say that. No text message, no phone call. I see you in the fellowship. When I say, how are you doing? You don't actually mean that. Most of you guys, are, we're all trained to be like, how you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Can't complain. You know, we say something like that. I legit mean it. So if you were to walk up to me today and I'm like, how you doing? Awful, bro. You know, the other day I thought about knocking out my cat. 
You're like, well, there goes. <laughs> Do we need to talk about it? <laughs> like, I want us to redeem that. Like, really redeem that. When we ask people how they're doing, let's open up space to really find out. Yeah. If you don't have time, let's go back to high. Hey, <laughs> that means you don't have time. But if we're going to like, how are you doing? Let's redeem that. Let's really practice it here so we can practice it out there. Let's redeem it. If I legit ask you, how are you doing? That's an opportunity for you to communicate to me. How are you doing? And I want to encourage you guys. Can we do the same on the other end? If I say, if you say, how are you doing? Actually, man, I haven't gotten any sleep. You're like, well, that's tough. You got kids, man. Good luck. <laughs> it could feel that way. But a lot of you guys are super sympathetic and offer so many, so many great things. But we want to be a people who can receive spiritual instruction. Paul says, examine yourself to keep yourself from being self-deceived. That's the, that, that is one of the most difficult components of following Jesus is not being self-deceived. Like, the only way we get self-deceived is when we're not consistently in the scriptures. If you make it your point not to read the Bible, you will not know what Jesus desires of you, and you will be totally and utterly Mm self-deceived. And again, I've had that experience my my whole life, just seeing friends tell me really interesting things that I thought was in the Bible because I didn't read it. Now, I didn't grow up religious, but a friend of mine said, you know, the scripture says if you teach a man to fish... If you give a man a fish, you'll eat for a day. If you teach a man a fish, you'll eat for a lifetime. And I was like, interesting. You know, I end up reading the Bible all the way through the next three years. And I'm like, you know, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> now, some of you might have thought that was in the Bible. But it's not in there. I had a friend tell me, no, no kidding. He was like, 9-11 was prophesied. And he showed me some random scriptures. Again, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't reading the Bible like that. And he would, and he's like, this thing is another way of saying airplane. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty fired up. <laughs> it ain't do nothing for me because I still end up doing whatever. But, and then I end up reading the Bible. I'm like, there's nothing in here about 9-11. <laughs> nothing. But they couldn't even know because they weren't really reading the scriptures. They were advising, but they weren't really reading the scriptures. Guys, there's no way around it. You got to read the Bible. There's no way around it. I enjoy a good podcast. I enjoy a good book. I enjoy listening to mature followers of Jesus tell me about the scriptures. And yet and still, the most important thing in terms of not being self-deceived is being able to pick up God's word and look at it for yourself. That is imperative. It is important. Otherwise, you'll be deceived. There was a popular podcast I was listening to, and he said, and I quote, sometimes Jesus understands if you have lost physical attraction to your spouse that you need to end that relationship. He said, Jesus understands. I'm like, Jesus or you? <laughs> and then one of, the, one of the people on the podcast, you know, this is one of those mmm podcasts. You know, when they have those people in those conversations, they're like, mmm. I'm like, mmm. I'm like, mmm, wrong. And then I end up, I end up po- posting a comment. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if Jesus understands that. Can you please help me see it in the scriptures? They never replied to my, my comment. But the only, re- only reason I even know that, because he phrased it so well and so eloquently, and he's just so, he's a wordsmith, really good with his words. 
It's because I actually read the scriptures. I was able to hear him and be like, that's not in there. I know you wanted to be in there, but it's not in there. And so you can say you think that, but don't say Jesus thinks that. And deceive Howard. And he, they got a whole bunch of followers who listen to their stuff. I don't know if everyone agreed with that component of it. but And again, I don't say that to say every, every communicator has an area that they're, they may say something and believe it. We could believe the wrong things. Every communicator has that. I'm just saying we minimize that when we read the scriptures. And so we don't want to be self-deceived. Here's an area where I think we can struggle What can cause self-deception in other areas besides reading the scriptures? We overestimate our own importance. We think of ourselves too highly. You know, some of us are like, I've been a follower of Jesus since 1888. Nice, 1888. You've been following the good Lord, man. So I know everything and no one can tell me anything. You could be a fool and been following the Lord for 100 years. Titles. I'm an evangelist. I'm this. I'm that. And you think the title makes you um, infallible. It doesn't. The t- you're still a person. Marital status. You know, sometimes you're like, now nah, nah, that person knows they're talking about because they're married. Anyone, who, anyone who, who's been married, <laughs> no, you could get married and still be a fool. <laughs> oh, well, they got kids now. Now they really know. You can have kids and still be a fool. <laughs> Or you have a, a prestigious degree. You can have a PhD and be a straight up fool. You're like, but they got a PhD. They've been in school eight years. And you're like, I don't know what happened, where the disconnect took place, but they don't know what they're talking about. <clears throat> now, usually what happens is someone has a PhD in something and they end up talking about a subject they don't know about. So if you have a PhD in engineering, they're like, oh, let me tell you also about um, eugenics. You're like, that ain't your field, bro. You work with machines. And they're like, yeah. And I also work with cell splicing. And all of a sudden, you've got two different fields. But usually people with PhD, we just want to know what they say. Like um, when, when, when COVID was happening, they, they interviewed some random guy who had a PhD in literature. And I was just like, this, again, I'm not hating on that dude, right? I'm hating on the news network for putting him on, right? I'm like, why does he do with literature? Why do we care what he thinks? Is he going to tell us about Nightingale, Frankenstein, or something like that? Like, how is this going to help us? But he was on there. He espoused different things. And I'm just like, someone's going to like this and be like, this guy who has a literature PhD told us this. Again, that could deceive us sometimes. It's okay for us to ask people, oh, you have a PhD in what? That doesn't mean we can't learn something from someone. That doesn't mean I, I know a couple of things about a couple of things, but I'll stay in my lane. <laughs> like, I'll be like, hey, I read these three books from this chemist, but I don't do chemistry. I know my element tables, and that's it. I don't know anything else that's happening there. So what do you think about what this person said? Now, if you don't know chemistry... Then I might walk a little bit more, like, hey, this is what the chemist said. Blah, 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 blah. But if you're like, oh, I'm also a chemist, you're like, all right, tell me. Is this guy right or wrong? We need to have a high degree of humility and not be self-deceived. And so Paul talks about self-testing. We got to test ourselves again. How do we do that? We look at the fruit of our lives. And we want to be a people who support one another, hold each other accountable. And again, we can make judgments. We can say that's not like Jesus, that's not like that. But we don't make final judgments. 
you don't send anyone to heaven. You don't send anyone to hell. You don't say anyone's right with God. You don't say anyone isn't right with God because you are not God. You stay in your lane. So I might get up here, man, you keep living like that. That's not going to be good. And then you might retort, what are you trying to say? I'm going to go to hell. You're like, honestly, I can't speak to that totally. But I can tell you what the scripture says. But honestly, Jesus saved the thief on the cross. Why won't he save you in the last minute? Who knows? Jesus is that kind of guy. But he might not save. There's a lot of other people who got crucified that same day he ain't saved. So you put that in perspective. And so we want to carry one another's load. How do we carry one another's load? Everything I just talked about. We help each other. We support one another. We serve one another. Did I just shut everything down? I just ruined everything. <sighs> Come on, Desiree. <laughs> what would life be if you weren't in that seat? <clears throat> Let's go to Galatians 6. We're still in 6. Pick up reading. Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You know, Paul begins with, nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word to share all good things with their instructor. I was going to leave this part out because it sounds so self-serving. But essentially, what was going on in Galatia? They were starting to believe crazy things, things that Paul didn't teach, things that the larger Christian community didn't believe. And so Paul is essentially saying in verse 6, you know why you guys got so led astray and why I had to end up writing this letter? You got no one teaching you. You know why you got no one teaching you? Because you got no, you're not supporting people. So basically, Paul is saying, pay your minister. That, that, that's exactly what he's saying. You don't got to pay me. You don't got to pay me. I, it sounds weird, and that's why I didn't want to talk about it, but I wanted to talk about it because we were doing Galatians. So that's it. We're moving on. All right. And then he says, we will reap a harvest. What harvest is he talking about? Let's go to Galatians 5.19. He's like, if we sow, we are sowing positively or negatively. We are sowing. What will we reap? Galatians 5.19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, faction, Envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what, if you reap toward the flesh, this is the flesh that Paul is talking about. What do you get? You get disinherited. So the promise of new creation and new life you lose out on, and you reap destruction. And I would argue that destruction he's talking about is in this life. If you've ever wrestled with um, chronic sin in your own life, I think many of us have testimonies on how it ruined us. You ever just kept lying and kept lying? And then this guy, hopefully you guys are mostly honest, but I've lied and lied and lied. And you get so, it gets so big that you're just like, man, this is about to be ugly. And then you just hope like you break your ankle so everyone can talk about that instead of the lies you've been talking about. Chronic sin has that kind of uh, destructive power. So Paul is saying if you sow toward that, you will reap destruction. And sin has a compounded effect as well. 
I think all of us probably have, have experienced this. A little lie could make it easier to lie again. A little, a little lust makes it easier to lust again. A little immorality makes it easier to be immoral again. A little, a little dissension makes it easier to be um, divisive again. You know, a little bit of cliquish behavior makes it easier to start a faction. It just builds. It's like, you know, I, I shared this before. It's like um, interest in, in, in the banks. Like, you put in a whatever money over 30 years, there's a lot of money if you never touch your um, bank account. Same thing happens with sin, but the flip is also happens. Let's go to Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Life under the direction of the Spirit produces life. That's if we sow toward the Spirit, we start reaping life and life to the full. The more kind we are. Now, here, here's something that it took me a long time to learn, so you guys get it for free. Our willpower works with the Holy Spirit. I used to think it was going to be like some magic trick, like I read this scripture, now I'm magically going to love, right? That's, for a long time, I thought that's how it was supposed to be. And, and as you, if you've ever thought like that, then you recognize the scriptures have not really played a transformative role in your life. So you need to take your will, what the Bible calls spirit, Take your spirit, match it with the Holy Spirit, and you go out and execute the loving action, even if it don't feel loving. You execute the joyful action, even if it don't feel joyful. Now, you might be thinking, is this some sort of fake it till you make it stuff? No, fake it till you make it sounds horrible. This is being sanctified. (laughs) This is what the process of sanctification. How do I become a person who is known for love, joy, peace? I start acting as if I live in love, joy, and peace. When I hold my children and I say, I love you, I love you, I love you. So full disclosure, when both my kids were born, I didn't have the gooey melt in my hand. Like, oh, man, you were so perfect. I love you since the moment I saw you. I lift up my baby. He looked back at me and I was like, nice. Feel really, I, I, I'm like, I feel really embarrassed that I'm not like gushing all over it. I'm like, oh, man, I, I don't want to lose the kid just on principle. But I'm like, emotionally, we didn't connect. But. Over the course of three months with Stephen over the crib, with Brian over the crib, walking back and forth, saying things like, man, I love you, man. Look how cute you are. Oh, you're a good kid. Eventually, the warm and fuzzies came. And I was like, oh, I love my baby. And Brian leans his head on my chest. I'm not the all kind of guy, but he leans his head on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, man, my baby loves me. I'm like, let me get a selfie. <laughs> I'm like, this is amazing. It took time. I had challenges with my mother um, a couple of years ago, and two years ago, and I'm like, you know what, let me start acting loving toward my mom. I'm call her, see how she's doing. Now I look, and I'm like, man, you know what, I do look forward to talking to my mom. It took time. And I'm saying, if you want to soul toward the spirit, starts with, initially, it felt fake. It felt fake. Like people, everyone will come up to me, especially when Stephen was born. Oh, I bet you just feel like you want to protect him from the entire world. And then someone's like, man, you know, before I thought, before I had a kid, I wouldn't, if a zombie apocalypse came, I'd throw my kid over there and I would have, whatever. But this, for the moment I saw my kid, I'd protect my kid from anything. And I was like, zombie apocalypse? <laughs> Stephen don't got a lot of skills in that world, man. <laughs> but after five months, I'm like, yeah, I got my boy. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's taking my point. But if it would have been the first four months, Jules probably would have been massively disappointed if she had to reason me in to go back to go get him. 
I, I think in principle, again, I loved my son in principle, but it took me to be loving toward my son to be like, man, I, I, I'll do anything for him now. But the first five months, it took a little while. <laughs> so I always feel bad when fathers are like, oh, it was the most perfect thing. Like, he probably was crying when he saw his daughter. He's like, it was instant love. <laughs> and I was like the philosopher, like, what is love? <laughs> How do you love? <laughs> Make sure you guys don't communicate this story to my kids when they get older. <laughs> we don't need them going to therapy about this, right? <laughs> but at least if you're going to tell them, make sure you tell them after four or five months, I deeply loved them and would do anything for them. They had to warm up to me. I had to warm up on them. But we want to be a people who so toward righteousness. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's like, the whole point of this whole letter, we're just one family following the Spirit. Let's keep sowing toward the things of the Spirit, which can be very challenging. And yet I encourage you, if I interest, you keep acting loving, eventually you'll be loving. You keep acting joyful, eventually you'll be joyful. You'll be a person of peace. Some days are easier than others, but over the long haul, over the trajectory, you'll be a person of peace. Paul says, do good to all, especially to the family of believers. You know, I want to encourage us to just start praying for our imagination on how we could be a better blessing to one another and be a better blessing to Portland, be a better blessing to USM. Because I think God really wants to do something incredible. And we all have gifts and talents that God wants us to share and use together. Recently, I was putting together a chicken coop with Wade and Trevor. I actually wasn't putting together. As there's a common theme here. I don't do that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was there, though. <laughs> you know, I was looking at Trevor just came in there. He was marking things with a pencil. Wade was chopping things. They had all the equipment. I was sitting there, and I was like, wow, this is so amazing. And then Wade invited me to participate. And I felt like the Jesus thing to do is to say yes, but my flesh wanted to say no. I'm like, I don't touch that stuff, man. Like, I might saw a finger off. This is going to be horrible. But then I chopped a piece of wood, and they both built me up. They're like, good job. I'm like, <laughs> I end up texting Julian, and I was like, yo, I cut wood. She's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> I, was, I was so excited. Because of Tim, I learned how to catch a bat. So I ended up, there was another bat in my house. It was 3 a.m. I was terrified. I called Tim at 3 a.m. I'm like, I hope you're awake. <laughs> Tim didn't pick up. So <laughs> he was being responsible, sleeping. <laughs> and so Jill says, like, are you going to do something about it? And I'm like, I got to do something about it. And then 8 a.m. came, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I came at the same time I thought it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, what are you going to do? I don't know. And then um, I was like, let me call Connor. Connor has no experience with catching bats. But I thought, let me call Connor. <laughs> so Connor's like, yeah, I'm going to come right now. And then Connor comes by, and then he's like, so how do you think we're going to get this thing? I'm like last time because of Tim it hid behind one of the curtains so I think that's where it's going to be and he's like so what are we going to do like we're going to and I'm like let's just go in the room first (laughs) then we went in the room 
And then I was like, <sighs> my heart was racing. <laughs> and then Connor was like, yo, this is so hype. I never did anything like this in front of me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, if this bat breaks out, I think I'm going to leave Connor in this room. <laughs> and then we're looking at the first curtain. We look behind I see him, I almost spat. And then Connie's like, and I almost ran out the room on him. He's like, bro, I never seen you move like that. <laughs> if you were there last time, I trapped him and Cody in the, in the room. <laughs> so my bravery is going up. And then Connor and I get it, and then we broke the curtain down. He captures the bat. And I was like, we did it. And then he let the bat free. And then I was like, and then Jules was like, how do you feel? I'm like, you know how I feel. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just <laughs> She's like, so if another bat come, you got it? I'm like, I hope I never see another one in my life. <laughs> talent. Like, Tim didn't know he had a Batman talent. <laughs> but he, he helped me. He used his gift initially to help me. Now, Connor and I are 1-0 and against bats. <laughs> Prayerfully, we never compete against a bat again. <laughs> But we need to use our gifts and talents. I know a little bit how to make a door because I was hanging out with Trevor and and Wade. I couldn't make a good door, but I could make some sort of door. (laughs) But we all have gifts and talents that we can use to give to our community. If someone said, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to fix this and da-da-da-da-da. Now I can be like, oh, you know who I could call? I got a buddy of mine, Wade and Trevor. Let me see if they're free and we can help you with this. Because I know you guys have the gifts and talent. If there's another person who's dealing with a bat, I'm going to still call Tim first. I'm not, going, I'm not enlisting first. <laughs> I'm like, call Tim. Tim isn't available. Then maybe I get Connor back and then we go save somebody's life. <laughs> but we're building as a community on talent. And so Paul says here, may we never boast of anything except our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we've been crucified. And... <clears throat> Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I want to focus more in on verse 14 through 15. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is new creation. Paul essentially is just communicating the world is crucified to him. He's talking about being cruciform. He's talking about the values and practices that both led up to the cross and were displayed on the cross is now how he lives. I think sometimes we, we think the cross is just, ah, oh, that's for my salvation. The cross also has practical implications, how we live and carry in our lives. The cross has practical implications. And for Paul... The cross was never a theory. It was the outpouring of utter divine love, calling forth total commitment in return. And how how do we live a cruciform life? It could feel almost impossible if we don't think deeply about it. But in every situation, how can you imitate Jesus in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family, um, on campus, in, in, in school? Thinking deeply about how do I, in, in Philippians 2, Paul's, Paul says of Jesus, he considered equality not something to be grasped. How do I lower myself, not in a self-abasing way, but in a humbling way, to glorify God and to help others? That's what Jesus did. How do I manage that mindset? 
You do that through faithfulness. You do that through humility. <clears throat> and so I want our both to be that. It's never boast about anything other than we've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to us. You can have an incredible job, an incredible college football team, an incredible haircut, but let the thing that you boast about be, man, you know what? I don't live to this world anymore. This world is dead to me and I'm dead to the world. That doesn't mean we don't appreciate the world. We don't appreciate beauty when we see it. But what it means is the world and its values no longer are weighty for us anymore. They no longer are the thing that defines us. And so new creation is all about living into the reality now. You know, a lot of times you hear people say, I can't wait to get to heaven. The scriptures are replete with passages trying to get heaven into you. That you would be a person who would have heaven in you and live that out everywhere you go. As we wrap up here, I want to remind us of two things. So we started this series saying, who are the people of God? The people, are God, the people of God are people who live by faith, which is evident by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that the only thing that counts for the people of God is faith expressing itself through love. That's the only thing that counts. It's how we walk away with these deep convictions and that we are just one family in Christ living under his spirit. As we close, two quick announcements, and then we'll pray for communion. First announcement. So we're having our financial presentation, but the campus ministry will not be there. They're going to have midweek um, here on campus, too, but they're going to be doing something different. I will make sure they're completely informed about what's going on financially. They're an important part of our community, but we recognize this is a unique situation. Second thing is we have connect cards. So if you're wanting to connect, get more information, it's in the back and it'll be awesome. So let's say a prayer for communion.